more importantly than just being saved, how many of you are thankful that you're making the devil nervous? Come on now, that's about two of you. That, I say, how many of you are thankful that you're making the devil nervous? Amen. Um, tonight, uh, Bishop asked me to teach tonight, and um, it's always an honor to stand in his pulpit. I've known him for many years, and it's... Uh, it's nothing to be taken lightly to share this man's pulpit. How I many you know we have the greatest pastor and bishop and first lady that you could possibly have? Amen. Come on, put your hands together. And he is right. We we have um, completely connected ourselves, and we are an extension of of this church. And I found myself preaching and beginning to extend um, a lot of the no, no fell season because how I many you know we have a lot of Christians that are failing today. Come on, we have a lot of Christians that are failing today, but how many know there's no failure in the cross? And there has to be a mindset shift, and if we can get the mind to begin to shift, we can get the spirit to begin to follow along, and then we can tell the flesh what to do, amen? And so we've been just preaching and just beginning to share the no-fail season that's going on in this house, and I don't know about you, you should be so thankful that you have a leader that is that is willing to stretch limits, and that is willing to take to, to not accept no for an answer. Amen. Uh, have you know, there's a lot of leaders that, that work out of fear. Amen. And, uh, thank God that we have leadership here that are willing to stretch boundaries and say, we won't fail in everything we do, that everything we put our hands to will be blessed. Everything that we see will be blessed. Everything we walk into will be blessed. Amen. And we need to be very thankful and very diligent about understanding how powerful that is to be walking in a ministry. Because whatever God blesses in this ministry will be blessed in your own home. What God blesses in this house will be an outreach to your home. Amen. What blesses in this house will be an outreach to your business. What blesses in this house will be, an, will be a blessing to your own life and to your own personal house to the temple of the Holy Ghost. And I don't know about you, during times like this, when, when no fail is going on, you should begin to stretch out your own spirit. Just like Jabez says, he said, enlarge my territory. Amen. And there should be things within you that you go back and reach dreams and say, no, I'm going to kick the door down that told me no on my dream. The, the thing that I failed in years ago, I'm going to go back in and not fail in this season. And you shouldn't take that lightly because it's, it's nothing to be taken lightly because right now there are things that you were told no over your whole life, but in this season, you're going to go forward. Amen. Amen. And so I want you to go to Judges chapter 16. I've been wrestling back and forth. Uh, you know, when you, when you got word in you, you could te teach several different things, but I feel, uh, I had something else and I feel so compelled to go this different direction. And, and, uh, and, and I have preached something similar to this, but I, I, I every time I preach it, I feel uh, a shifting in my spirit about something. And I wondered why, but I believe it's for this house. And I've never taught it anywhere else, but I feel something every time I get to it. And I've always wanted to dive and get a little bit deeper into it. But I believe that God has saved it for this house. Amen. So Judges chapter 16, I want you to go there to, to Judges chapter 16, verse 20. A very familiar portion of scripture. But we're going to take just a little bit of twists on it, okay? We're going to begin to talk about what we've been in the last few weeks about, about teaching in a multi-generational flow, amen? And how many know that we are blessed in this house to have a multi-generational flow, amen? Amen? It's very important for us to have that in a church because how many of you know if we just have an older generation, it's a dying church? 
There is no life within it because we're just waiting for people to die. But what about the next generation? And then we have, have you know, in every church, there should be three generations going on. There should be the older standing with wisdom, beginning to partake and beginning to push. There is the middle generation that is able to run and begin to uh, have the experience and the backbone to be able to push into some things. And then there lastly is the, the last generation with the energy that we can pour into with the wisdom. And thank God that we have that, that those type of generations in this church. But Judges chapter 16, let's go here. Judges chapter 16, verse 20, he said, And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he woke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist and not the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and put him in with the feathers of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit the hair of his head began to grow again after he had was shaven. Then the lords of the Philistines gathered them together for to offer a great sacrifice unto Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. For they said, Our God hath delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. And for they said, Our God hath delivered into our hands our enemy and the destroyer for our country which slew many of us. And it came to pass when their hearts were merry, and they said, Call for Samson, for he will make us sport. And they called for Samson, and out of the prison house he made them a sport, and they set him between the pillars. And Samson said unto the lad that held him by the hand. I'm going to read that again. And Samson said to the lad that held him by the hand, Suffer me that I fill the pillars whereupon the house standeth that I may lean upon them. And now the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there, and there were upon the roof about 3,000 men and women, and that beheld while Samson made sport. And Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord, O God, remember me, I pray thee, and strengthen me. I pray this only once, O God, that I may be avenged of the Philistines from my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two miller pillars and upon which the house stood, on which it was borne up, and of the one with his right hand and of his other with his left. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistine. And he bowed himself with all his might, and, with, and the house fell upon the Lord. And upon the people there was therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than they slew in his life. And then his brethren and all the house and of his father came and took him and brought him and buried him between Zor and Eshtal in the burying place of Manah his father. He judged Israel 20 years. I kind of want to teach just something tonight about help me get my hands on it. Just say that to yourself. Say it real quick with me. Say, help me get my hands on it. How do you know that our hands are an extension of what God wants to do within our life? And it's up to us. A lot of times we sit back and we pray over things, but God wants us to go out and be doer of the word and not just hearers only. So many times God is sitting, waiting for us while we're in prayer to move. God sometimes wants us to move from a place of prayer from a place to a place of action. Amen. 
There is a level within that we have to begin to work not only in the supernatural, but within the natural, within the spiritual, and with also in the flesh. That we begin to move from a place and begin to outreach our hands. So many times we begin to pray, oh Lord, Father God, bring them in and bring them in from a harvest, Father God. God, we begin to pray for revival, that God will bring in uh, the harvest. He'll begin to bring in the ones that are in sin, begin to bring in the, our family members, begin to bring in our co-workers. But how do you know the Bible says to go out and compel all men? Come on. He says, go out into the highways and the byways and compel them. That word compel in the Greek means to make them. That means we have to do action within our own hands that we begin to do action within our hands. And God wants us to be an out. God wants to be the extension of our hands. Come on now. What we cannot do, God can do the rest. Amen. What God cannot do, what we cannot do in the natural, that's when the supernatural begins to kick in and begins to be an extension of our natural hand. And then in the supernatural, when we begin to portray people love, God steps in and says, now you've done all that you can in the natural. Now I will begin to lift the supernatural spiritual blinded eyes off of them and begin to bring them into the kingdom. Amen. So that's why it's important that we become, begin to be doers of the word. We begin to see here that Samson says there is a house that he is trying to destroy. Uh, the same way that, that, that the church is the house, is the house of God. There is also the house of the enemy. And there, there's a playing field. It is us against them. It is us against the enemy. And we've got to make sure that the Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the Bible is, that comes as a, uh, that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How many know there's no middle ground with the enemy? Okay. And we're going to get into that here in a minute because represented within this, we begin to see three different generations. Okay. Three different generations within the, the, the story of Samson itself. And we begin to see that Samson began to play too much in the enemy's camp. Okay. And how many know if you play in the enemy's camp long enough, the enemy will take hold of you? Okay. But let me get into this because, first of all, there is a first generation, okay? We see that in Judges chapter 13. Judges chapter 13. We begin to see here. Let's go back and read it, okay? We'll read a few verses here. Judges chapter 13. The very first generation. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. Who was Samson just in the hands of? The Philistines. But we're at the beginning where uh, the Lord delivered them. And so there's a time frame here where they were uh, out of the hands of the Philistines. They were out of the hands during the period of the generation of Samson. But during this older generation, there was a generation where they were in the hands of the Philistines. And there was a certain man named Zorah, verse 2, of the family of Danites, whose name was Moneah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And therefore beware, I pray thee, drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing, for lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for this child, this second generation, shall be a Nazarite unto God whom from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistine. And the woman came and told her husband, and saying, A man of God came to me, and countenance was like his countenance of the angel of God. Very terrible, but I asked him, whence hence neither told me was his name. He said unto him, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, nor drink, nor wine, nor drink strong drink. 
So we begin to see here that, that we begin to see that they did continually evil in the sight of the Lord for 40 years. But we begin to see that Samson's father, Manah, uh, he does really nothing significant in the story, but, but Samson's mother, the first generation, begins to say, you know what? I know that there is evil continually around me. I know that I am barren myself. I know that the nation is barren itself. I know that the Lord is not moving and he is not speaking, but she begins to make up within herself that she does not accept the fact that she is barren and that her nation is barren. Okay, and the very next step here is we begin to see not Manea, but we begin to see the woman, the mother out into the field. Okay, you guys have had enough teaching in this house to understand that the woman always represents the church. Okay, we, I don't want to go too deep into this, but the woman always represents the church, that she is the bride of Christ. Anytime you see that the woman, all the way to Revelation, the great dragon rose up against the great woman. Come on now, it's against the church. And so she, as, as the, the mother of Samson, goes farther into representing not just a mother, but the church, a first generation church. And she said, I will not just stay in this house and be barren. I will not just stay in this house and accept the fact that not only is my house barren, but my nation is barren. And I understand that everybody else is evil. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so she as herself, as the first generation church, began to say, I've got to get back out in the field again. How many know that's important? Because how many know you can't have a harvest in the field if you're not in the field? You've got to get in the field to have a harvest. Okay. Because you have to understand to reap a harvest, you've got to get out and plant some field, some seed in the, in the field. You've got to get out there and do some hard work in the field. You've got to go out there. You can't just go out when the corn is coming up, but you've got to be willing to go out and, and uproot the rocks and begin to take away the thorns. And somebody has got to get back out in the field again. We understand that there's two different generations that goes on, especially in the church, that there is the Moses generation and the Joshua generation. And we, a lot of palms, people begin to compare and say that the Moses generation understood what it was to have power, that they understood what it was to stand and tarry at the altar. They, they would tarry in prayer and tarry in the spirit until something began to change. They were willing to go into the field and say, I will do the dirty work when no one else will, that I will stand in the presence of God until something shifts and something changes. They they didn't have the internet for source. They didn't have uh, the information at their hands, but the only information they had was their knees against the ground with the presence of God speaking direct revelation into their life. That's the Moses generation. The Joshua generation, we understand in a sense how to, uh, we understand the seven steps of blessing. We understand the seven steps of a turnaround. We understand three steps to your healing. And we know a lot of information, but a lot of times in this generation, we lack the power to do anything. That's just straight preaching right there. The old generation has the power, whereas the new generation begins to have the information. That's why it's important that Moses and Joshua not be intimidated by by one another, but they begin to come to one another to begin to learn from one another. That says, you know what? You got the power and I got the knowledge. Let's work this thing out so that God can get the glory. Somebody give God some praise. 
So she began to say, I've got to get in the field. I, I've got to get in the field. Even when the, when the world looks wicked, even when this thing looks bad, I've got to get in the field because there is a work to be done. There is a work to be done. There is a barrenness within me. There is a barrenness. But how many know we have a lot of generational churches that have stayed stuck and have got to the place where they're unwilling to go into the field? This is what I'm talking about, that a lot of times they know how to pray about it, but they don't get the umph to go out and do a thing. Come on now. For God to do a thing, you've got to begin to get some action behind it. Okay? Uh, let me just put this simple because a lot of times we just think that God, we can magically snap our fingers and God's going to work. But how do you know even salvation ain't like that? You believe in your heart, then you have action to confess with your mouth. There has to be a double-sided action. You believe, then you confess. There is a point of believing and doing. And then God begins to work in your life. And in the same way, it works for every single thing within our life. And so we have a generation here uh, that, uh, that, that is willing to get out there, that is willing to find the power. It says in the middle of the field, the angel of the Lord showed up in the field. Can I tell you something? When we get out in the field, the angel of the Lord will show up in the field. We ain't got to worry about God showing up. God will be right there in the middle of the field. I, there are some people that, are, that, are, that work in fear and are afraid uh, simple things, even to just witness to your neighbor at, at your job, to, to much less go into a mission field where your life could be threatened. But how many of you know if God be for you, nobody can be against you? That if God sent you, no devil in hell can fight against you. you got to believe that if God sent me, nothing can change this situation. And so we begin to see here, she was barren. Barren is a, is a sign that there is no intimacy. Okay. The Bible says, in his presence there is the fullness of joy. Uh, let me put this real simple. That when, how many you know that when a man and woman become into me, there becomes a fullness inside the womb? There becomes a fullness inside the womb. You can see the action. You can see the result of the intimacy. When they become intimate, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, my, three months later, it's a little action that comes forth. Six months later, there's a more of a feeling that comes within it. Nine months later, all of a sudden, we begin to see in the flesh what we were becoming intimate with in private. Okay. Uh, I want to say this because any time that you begin to understand and realize, how many you know if, you, if you're in the field long enough, uh, the devil will drain you of some love. The devil will drain you of some peace. The devil will drain you of self-control at times. The devil will drain you of fruit. But that's why the Bible says in his presence there is the fullness of joy. That's why you've got to continually have a heart of praise. That's why you've got to continually have a heart of worship. That's why Paul said I continually have a heart of thanksgiving. Because the more that I'm drained out, the more I've got to get back in. Come on now. And what happens is when we find ourselves lacking in things, when we find ourselves lacking love, I say this all the time, if everybody's getting to my nerves, it must not be everybody, but it must be me. I'm not just talking about the one bad co-worker. I'm not just talking about the one wicked boss. I'm not just talking about the one crazy neighbor that would be crazy all by themselves. But I'm talking about when everybody's getting on your nerves. When you're walking down the street and you feel like kicking the dog and, 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 and the person at you beside you in Kroger's is just getting on your nerves for breathing wrong and all kinds of stuff. If everybody's getting on your nerves, it must be 
you. And so what begins to happen is you've got to get back in God's presence and say, God, fill me up of what I'm lacking. God, if I'm lacking love, God, fill me back up again, God. Let me tell you something. Your outward fruit will be a sign of how privately you're intimate with the Father. Okay, uh, we begin to see her. Manea's wife was 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 barren, but she refused to stay barren. The nation was barren, but she refused to stay that way. So she said, "Probably, even if I got to go by myself, I'm going to go into the field of intimacy and find that thing that can fill me back up again." Okay, so we see a generation that was willing to get into the field. We see a generation that said, you know what? I know that there's something better than what I'm seeing. I know that there's something better. And all of a sudden, from this place of intimacy, from this place of working in the field, all of a sudden, she began to feel a kicking down inside of her. She began to feel a kicking in her spirit. And when she began to have this kicking, all of a sudden, when she began to, the the Lord began to, to expose this gift within her, this talent within her. She said, God, I know that before I was with you, I was barren, but after I was with you, God, you are the one that placed this thing inside of me. So since you placed it inside of me, God, I give it back to you. How many of you know it's important that everything God gives you, you got to give it back to God? If he gives you a house, it's got to be God's. If he gives you a car, it's got to be God's. If he gives you a marriage, it's got to be God's. If he gives you a job, it's got to be God's. Because can I tell you something? That takes the responsibility off of you. That if, he t- that if the enemy's able to slip in and take one car, since it was God's, God will replace it for double for all of my trouble. Come on now. But when it's mine, when it becomes me, when it's about me, she could have simply said, just like Hananiah, uh, Hannah with Samuel, whenever she was barren, instead of giving Samuel back to God, she could have become selfish. And how do you know that she could have kept that child, but God could have took away the child? And so she had enough sense, enough wisdom that God, I know that this is you that gave this to me. So God, I give it back to you. Come on now. I'm not going to be selfish with this gift. I'm not going to be selfish with this talent. And so we see the first generation had enough sense to say, you know what? This thing that's birthed within me, this thing that's down inside of me, it's greater than me. So I give it away. Oh yeah. And so we begin to see that greatness was birthed inside of her. Can I tell you something tonight? Every one of us have, every one of us inside of us tonight has destiny and greatness birthed down inside of us. Okay, I understand that you're sitting there saying no one has ever told you you're great. No one's ever told you how special you are, that you've been raised in a home, that that you were not good for anything. But can I tell you something that when you've been saved and redeemed by the blood of the lamb, all of a sudden you you in my flesh, I can't do no good thing. But the Bible says greater is he that is within me. My goodness gracious. I've got seeds of greatness down inside of me. You may not be able to see him right now, baby, but when this this thing can, begins to come to full fruition, greatness is coming out of me. It may just come up as a, as a stalk coming up out of the ground, but baby, before it's over with, you'll realize how great I truly was. Not because of who I am, but because of what was birthed inside of me. My goodness gracious. Look at somebody beside you and just tell them, you're great. You're great. You're great. I'm supposed to be teaching tonight, ain't I, Bishop? I'm sorry. Let me go ahead and get on into this thing. Okay, so we begin to see here that there was birth as great. 
And can I tell you something? The second generation uh, began to um, walk into an anointing that they didn't even deserve. Uh, that the older generation began to speak greatness over top of the second generation. They begin to speak it. Uh, I, I remember a time when mothers used to speak an, a true name over top of their child. They, they weren't just picking a name because it was popular at the time. They weren't just picking it because uh, their favorite actress has their name at the time. They weren't just picking something, but they were speaking greatness over top of that child. That when the baby was born and placed into their arms, that when they would get along with that child in the hospital, they would begin to speak greatness over top of that child. They would begin to speak destiny over top of that child. They would begin to speak purpose over top of that child. That's why we have a generation that begins to move faster in the anointing than the last generation. While the last generation had to earn and had to begin to uh, had to begin to work up and had to begin to earn this generation for years, just like the story of the eleventh hour blessing, that all of a sudden this second generation comes in in this eleventh hour and don't even deserve the same equality. But how do you know that God isn't fair? God sometimes that His favor when it's placed upon you, favor isn't fair. That sometimes there was greatness birthed upon you and in you, but even some things that you didn't even deserve. A second generation begin to reap benefits of a first generation's work. They begin to work in the field. They begin to do certain things. They begin to build the house up. And all of a sudden, a second generation begin to come in and reap a thing that they didn't even work for. Samson never had to figure out why was my mama not barren. Why was this generation not barren? All he had to understand is that I am birthed in this generation to save my generation. That I have a calling over top of me. That I have an anointing that I didn't even deserve. I have an anointing over top of me that I didn't even work for. But it was passed down from a prior generation. And it wasn't there just for my own sake. But it was there as a generational blessing in my life to begin to take it farther than it's ever been. How many know it's important for generations to stand on top of generations? Yeah. Right now we're, we're living in, this is why it's important that we get back to a multi-generational mindset. That we begin to understand what I cannot do, you stand on my shoulders and reach it. I never forget that one time Destiny and Sailor, our eight-year-old and our three-year-old, begin to get real clever. My, my three-year-old is about as smart as a tack. I'm telling you, that little girl is smart. And she began to realize, I can't reach something one day. It was up on a shelf. Uh, and we had hid it from her, but she began to eyeball it and understand where that thing was at. And so she began, she wasn't even strong enough to push the chair over. But she knew her older sister was strong enough and just naive enough to push the chair on over. So she began to push the chair on over. And all of a sudden, Destiny went on to play in her game, went on to play, watching TV. And all of a sudden, we see Sayla standing up on top of the, I mean, literally not even on the chair, but upon the rings of the back of the chair, reaching something that she couldn't reach by herself. I say that because having you know that when you work together, we can reach things that we could never reach before. Yeah, we can reach things, but how do we know when every generation keeps cutting the legs out from underneath the, the other generation, we keep on reaching the same things in God. 
But when we begin to stand as a ladder and say, reach what I cannot reach, that I'm not intimidated by your gift, that I'm not confused by your gift, I'm not, I'm not worried about your gift, but stand on top of my shoulders and go farther in some things. And this is where Samson's at because he stood on the shoulder of his mothers and did not have to start at the place of working in the field, but stood on top of the place where the field was being worked and began to work in an arena of the anointing that his mother had never begun to begin to feel. He began to do things that other people, other men had never been able to do. He was able to kill people with the, with the jawbone of a donkey. He was able to kill thousands. Why? Because he stood on the generation of his mother and went farther. You understand what I'm saying? Can I, can I say this to you just to drop this in here? That's why it's important to, to encourage your kids to go farther than you have. My goodness gracious, I don't know what's wrong with parents, but we get so intimidated even by our own kids. I mean, this is why the, why the church gets jacked up sometimes, because even at home we have parents that are getting intimidated. Just because you can't see yourself living in the house, encourage them to live in the house. My goodness gracious, if you know your limits and you know you'll never live in, in the bigger house, listen, just drive them through neighborhoods. Put dreams within them. Put vision back within them. Begin to let them reach farther. Even if you never went to college, take them around to colleges and say, go farther than what I ever went. Come on now. But we have a generation that's, that's almost cursing the next generation because we have a crab bucket mentality that you won't get out of the bucket farther than what I will. But I don't know about you. If you raise that son right, baby, I don't care if he gets to the NFL. If you treated him right, you'll be standing right beside him on the stage about to inherit a mansion and, a, and, and all of a sudden a Ferrari too. Why? Because you push the generation farther than what you could go. That's good. That's, that's good right there. Yeah. But we had a generation here in Samson that, that, that because they did not work for the anointing, they did not cherish the anointing. Oh, Lordy, that's a whole subject by itself. Because they did not work for the anointing. Because they did not work for the... How many you know it, there's always a cycle? You have a generation that works for a thing, then you have a generation that's spoiled in a thing. And then the sport and the thing begins to get to an age and realize I was spoiled. I never worked for nothing. And so the next generation has to work for everything they got. And then it goes through a cycle again and they become spoiled. And this is what happens in the Samson becomes spoiled in the anointing. How many know we have, we, have, we have had a generation in the past and living in a generation that has been spoiled in the anointing? That has been spoiled in the blessings of God. In a thing that they never worked for. And can I tell you something that what will happen is they'll begin to dabble in, in, into the enemy's camp too much. Mm. That, that, weren't, that weren't like the mother that had a focused vision, laser focused vision that said, I refuse to be barren. I refuse to be this way. But instead said, I'm anointed anyway and would go on over and play in a little bit of sin over here. Come on now. We've lived in a generation for the last 20, 30 years that played with the anointing. That could shake that that would go and do wrong on Saturday night, but would shake themselves enough on Sunday morning to, to begin to feel the anointing again. You know what it's like. I was raised in church my whole life, and I understood that no matter what I got into on Saturday night, as long as I could shake myself enough on Sunday morning, my goodness gracious, as long as I could feel the anointing on my life. 
As long as I could feel the anointing in worship, I knew that I was okay. And we have a generation that's shaking a whole lot but don't understand the anointing. (laughs) Ain't nobody said amen. Come on now. We have a whole generation that's shaking a whole lot, but they don't know what the anointing is truly the cost of the anointing. They're shaking a whole lot. And this is what we see with Samson, that every time he would get in his temptation, every time that the enemy would begin to come, he would shake himself and the anointing would come back on him. The anointing, would, he would shake and the anointing would... How many you know a lot of times we're trying to conjure up the anointing and shaking ourselves enough, but how many you know that God never intended us to go from, an, uh, from, from encounters to encounters, but God said to walk in that thing, to walk. And how many you know that, 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 that Samson should have just walked in the anointing? He was the chosen one. He was the generation that was going to go farther. And instead of, instead of walking in the anointing, he would shake himself from experience to experience. That's important because how do you know that, that what we don't need to do as a generation is walk from one encounter on Sunday morning and drop off of the encounter on Monday and come back on Sunday and shake ourselves again just enough to feel it. That's why we have Sunday morning only churches. I'll come in and feel good about it enough because I know this is my place, but I'm going to dabble back out in some things. And so what finally happened is the enemy had complete control of that generation. Having you know, there's a times that it looks like the past generation of the body of Christ looks to be in trouble at times. Uh, we begin, begin to be a public display of what the enemy has done to us privately. Because we did not understand the anointing. And all of a sudden we begin to understand and see here that all of a sudden the enemy began to take him to a place and he began to gouge at his eyes. He took him to a place of isolation and into a place of no vision. How many generations can separate themselves and isolate themselves? We go to what is comfortable and to what is familiar. Okay. Uh, They look like me. They smell like me. They have the same color hair as me. They have the same skin color as me. They have the same social status as me. So this is comfortable. So I isolated myself in this situation. I'll isolate myself in this generation. I'll isolate myself because this is, un- this is comfortable to me. This is what is familiar to me. This is what I know. This is the language I understand. This is the thing that's right to me. <laughs> but thank God for a God that said, I'll step outside of my comfort to get myself uncomfortable in a world that's full of sin that I do not understand. That I'm used to a language that speaks worship to me. Holy, holy, holy. But he said, I'll step into a, to a, a, a culture, into a land, to a land that they speak sin and I don't understand it. That here I am, spirit and in truth, perfect in all being. But he said, I'll step into a thing that's unfamiliar to me. And how do you know when we're filled with the spirit of God, we'll step over into some things that are unfamiliar to us. I understand that it's important that we reach out to people that are familiar to us. I understand that completely. I understand because what's familiar to you, you can draw them into Christ. But at times, you've got to step away from not only your generation, but even some things that are familiar to you so you don't become isolated in a thing. And you begin to say, God, open up my eyes to a thing that may be bigger than me. And all of a sudden, we begin to see here that he had lost his vision. And his vision was completely gone. And how many know that when you begin to isolate yourself, you have no vision outside your world? 
You think your world is your four walls. You think your world, and you know what? That's a sign of immaturity. And I'll tell you why. Because right now our daughter, our 17-year-old daughter, she is perfect within her four walls. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, she's OCD as possible. She, she knows how to keep the thing clean. I mean, you don't move nothing. You move a book, oh, my goodness, you, you, you best believe rats is coming when you come out of that room. She'll know. She put hairs on the doors and know if anybody comes in the doorway, you know. She's perfect in her four walls. She knows how to study for a test. But we're pushing her and saying, you know what, Vet, we, we don't need you to get a job for our own finances, but we need you to get a job not for your own finances, but because you can get outside your four walls. Get uncomfortable in a situation that's not so comfortable to you so that you begin to realize that I'm not so perfect in who I am. That's, that, and what happens is when we stay in a place of isolation, it is a sign of immaturity. Because, see, that's what Samson, his immaturity got him into the place to begin with. That I can handle playing with this thing, but I'm also not strong enough to get out of the thing. Okay. So we understand that. That's the second generation. But all of a sudden, we see a third generation pop into the picture. We see a third generation. They hear he is, he is performing for the enemy. The, the enemy had gotten real high on spirits. And all of a sudden, they said, bring out Samson that he might perform for me. Can I say this? A lot of times in this second generation of believers, we have a second generation of believers that are performing more for the enemy than they are for God. I say that because when, when you're performing for your own motives, yeah, and when you're performing for your own flesh, and when you're performing for your own glory, rather than performing to bless God, yeah. Anytime you see within the Word of God someone that's ministering, they always minister unto the Lord first. Because it's important that you keep Him the primary focus of everything. That if God gives me the opportunity to use my voice in any way, shape, or form, if that's to greet somebody at the door, I've got to realize I'm a worker for Christ. And I'm doing all things as unto Him. So that I'm not performing for the enemy and taking flesh over in myself. So we begin to see as he's in a bad situation. He's going around in circles. He's going around in routine. He's going around in comfort. He's going around in a... If you're like me, I know when to wake up at the last second, have my clothes already ironed, ready to go, jump in them, sleeping, and drive to work asleep. I ain't the only one. There's all kinds of us driving dead on, this, on the highway or the work. And you get there and you know just how much to do to get by, not perform, not to go ahead of everything, but just enough to get by, go on home, you know when to have dinner, you know when you know when and what to say to your wife, you know when and what to do at home, and you're just walking around in circles. Just a routine. Nothing is broken. Everything is comfortable to you. And that's what's wrong with Samson, that his will is more important than God's will over his life. Because how many know for God to work in your life, you've got to step outside your own will into his will? It hit me a little while ago, but that's why the Bible says that he is the will inside of a will. Oh, my goodness. Because they had Samson performing, pushing on a will. And sometimes when we get so conformed with conformity and routine, that a lot of times we've got to get God inside that will and say, God, not my will be done, but your will be done in my life. But all of a sudden, we begin to see here that he's at his breaking point. That his things are as bad as it can possibly get. And he's performing at his last time. And all of a sudden, he begins to reach over and realize there's a third generation. It says that there is a lad grabbing at his hand. 
Yeah. There is a young generation that is grabbing at his hand. And let me stop here for a second because one thing about one thing you're going to realize about multicultural is that it's not just in age, but it's also in spiritual age. Have you know it's important that as a multi-generational church, we also have a multi-generational spiritual age church? That's two of y'all right there. I understand why you say that every week, Bishop. That's two of It's important that we have a, a multi-generational uh, spiritual age church. That we have babies coming into the kingdom. But we also have the, 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 the older generation standing and saying, let me show you as a young babe in Christ the way to go. Can I tell you something? A lot of churches get to the place where it's our four and no more. And they're cool with people grow. They're cool with people coming in and getting saved as long as you don't take my spot, as long as you don't take my pew, as long as you don't take my place singing, as long as you don't take my place of spotlight. But how many know that sometimes you've got to stand and say, you know what, baby, I'm just glad you're here. Go on ahead of me. That's why discipleship's important. That's why all this is important, that we begin to push them. That's why connect groups are important, that we begin to have a time of connection. That's, that's just what this thing is about, that Samson says, let me lead you to a place of connection. I mean, the closest place is touching one another. There was an intimacy going on here. There was an intimacy where the older generation reached out and grabbed him in intimacy and pulled him in close to him. And there was a connection going on. I, I, I mean, a lot of times we're real happy with people as long as we can keep them at a distance. But when you say, you know what? No, come connect with me. Come, let me show you a thing that you've never known that you can do. Come, let me bring you to a place that other people like me will love you. That's why connections are important. That's why these things, but all of a sudden also, we begin to see here, this is the most important part. He says here, he says, I see the pillars. He said, I don't see them, but they have placed me around the pillars. And he said, I don't know where they're at. He says, but young man, young woman, young lad, he says, place my hands upon the pillars. Uh, this is important because you have to understand he reaches back to a generation and, and as the older generation, he begins to say, I've lost my place of worship. But if you can help me put my hands back into a place of worship that I might find my victory again. Come on now. That I might sense the anointing again. That I might sense an energy that I've not felt before. That I might sense the presence of God in a way that I have not before. Because you see here, it says that the anointing began to grow back inside of him as his hair began to grow. And he said, I sense a thing that I've not sensed in a while. But, but the Bible says where two or three touch and agree. Uh, can I tell you this? It's not just meaning where one or two people touch and agree, but where two or three generations touch and agree. My goodness gracious. Not only will we chase a thousand, but we will chase 10,000 because generations are reaching back and touching one another and saying, not just by yourself, but let's do this thing together. Your hands may be low one day, but let me help you lift your hands in a place of victory. Let me lift your hands in a place of worship. 
I'll give you another example of this. We begin to see that Joshua was fighting down in the battle. Joshua was a sign of the younger generation. He is out fighting and has the energy to fight while the older generation is on the hill, Moses praying. But all of a sudden, because of his age, because of this dinner, begin, his hands begin to weaken. His hands begin to weaken. But he reached back to a second generation and he began to say, raise my hands in a place of victory because if I can just get my hands back in a place of victory, everything that was now conquering me, now I'll conquer it. My goodness gracious. That's why it's important that we begin to reach back and say, help me get my hands on it. I can't do this thing by myself. I can't do it isolated all by myself. Can I tell you something? True worshipers don't care how the music sounds. And can I tell you this as an evangelist, I've learned this to be very important. Because if you can't worship and it's got to be your type of song, you'll never worship. If it ain't your type of beat, if it ain't your type of music, if it ain't your type of song, but can I tell you something? It's about the word and the word alone. My goodness gracious. The, the true believers, there's a sign of a true believer that you love the word. <laughs> regardless of the word is being preached, regardless of the word is being taught, regardless of the word is being whispered, regardless of the word is being sung. You say, I'm just in love and a lover of the word of God. And you begin to say, I don't care how fast the beat is, how slow the beat is. If they got a banjo or electric guitar, you just say, baby, I want to worship because it's about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yeah. It says here that Samson uh, began to kill one in one strike more than he had ever had over top of his whole heart. By himself, he had done damage to the enemy's camp. By himself, he had put the house of the enemy in fear. But when he reached back to a younger generation, my goodness gracious, to a generation that was younger to him, regardless of that be spiritually or even in age, when he reached back to them, it says he destroyed the house of the enemy. My goodness gracious. How do you know when we reach back to generations, not only will we, will we put the enemy in fear, but we will destroy, my goodness gracious, the house of the enemy forever. We can in this region, when we reach back to one another and we say, you know what? I may not understand you. I may not even be comfortable with you. You don't talk the same. You don't look the same. You don't, I don't, I don't even understand anything but you know what you got Jesus inside you let me lead and walk beside you that we may destroy the works of the enemy in this region come on somebody give God some praise we got to begin to work together he said I've lost my vision I don't know where the pillars are at he said but take your young vision take what you can see farther than I can see Come on now, you know what it's like to start getting older. Well, I was just walking the other day and trying to look at something on a TV screen and trying to see what the game was, and I couldn't see it. But I looked over at Bert and I said, what's that screen say? Who's winning the game? You, you know what I'm saying. Sometimes your vision begins to dim. And sometimes the younger generation has got all kinds of vision, but they don't, they don't have no structure behind the vision. But you can begin to say, help me, let me help you put some order and structure in that thing. And let you see farther off than I've ever seen before. Let you climb on top of my shoulders that we can reach up and have the greatest victory that we've ever had together. That we destroy together. My goodness gracious. Mm. 
How many of you want to see the house of the enemy go down? My goodness. Uh, I don't know about you. Uh, sometimes I get very irritated reading the Bible. And I want to go and shake the living daylights out of people. Because the generation that didn't kill the enemy off in one generation, the next generation is still fighting the same thing. How many know it's time, just like Samson, that we work together and kill the works of the enemy? So that our children and our children's children don't fight the same devils that we've been fighting. My goodness gracious. You know what I'm talking about. That they ain't fighting what you're fighting. They ain't struggling with what you're struggling with. Let me drop this in here and I'm done with this. It's time that we get to a place that we say, you know what? The next generation will not struggle. This next generation will not struggle. I won't let you walk into the next phase of your life broke. I won't let you walk into the next generation of your life struggling with a thing. But I would let you walk into the next generation with favor. With prosperity on your life. With a renewed mind. Doing things that I ain't never done before. My goodness. And as you see it, I'm going to get to see it too. Hey, you know, if we keep on cutting generations, no generation is going to see it. Moses may not have been able to step into the promised land, but because of Joshua, he was able to see a thing that he may not have ever saw before. Hey, you know, some of the things that we're praying about and seeking about that we begin to see through another generation. Amen. Amen. Stand with me on your feet. I want you to grab somebody by the hand for a second. You know, it's up to you. I don't want to I don't want to put no pressure on you, but if you want to grab somebody of another generation, that, that's perfectly fine. I think that's that's a little bit in order, especially after talking about Samson and the lad. And I want you to look at him and right in the eyes and say, Let's do this thing together. Come on, say that to him. Grab, look at the person you're grabbing by the hand and say, Let's do this thing together. Let's reach heights that we've never reached before. Let's do a thing that God has for us. And as we begin to pray, I want you to begin to pray for your neighbor that, that they will begin to see things that you, what you've been praying about. You may have been praying for your son, but I pray that you pray for their, that their, their situation, their son will come free. Yeah. Pray for their finances. Pray for their mindset, pray for their emotions, pray for their marriage, pray, pray for their spiritual growth in their life, that they'll begin to reach things that you've never reached before. <laughs> begin to pray, help me get my hands on it, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, tonight. Father, we worship you, God, tonight. Father God, we thank you, God, that God, what looked like it was going to be destroyed in one generation, God, that there's a generation rising up, that God, that's not intimidated by a generation, but that says, let's go do this thing together. That by myself, I can only go so far, but God, with another generation, God, with another one that's reaching me, God, God, we can go farther than we've ever went before. God, I pray.